see everybody. Nice to worship with the saints. Bless God. Brave in the weather, brave in the elements to be here. Praise God. And hopefully God, well, he has met us already in prayerfully. He'll always meet us in worship and exhortation and prayer and preaching. And uh, something that's been on my heart, I want to preach it today. Forgetting God. And now I'm looking at a nice, solid church of saints. And nobody here is going to forget about God. Amen. That's impossible for us. Don't you know who I think I am, Pastor? I'll never forget about God. We're going to find out that we've got to be careful of that kind of act. There is no temptation that has overtaken us that's not common to man. Amen. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Verses 1 to 20, I will read, make some comments, and then some application. Moses writes, the whole commandment that I commanded you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you testing you to know what is in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. Your clothing did not wear out on you, and your food did not, and your foot did not swell over these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. Everybody say a good land. A land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs flowing out of the valleys and hills. A land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates. A land of olive trees and honey. A land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing. A land whose stones are iron, and out of whose hills you can dig copper. And you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Take care, lest you forget the Lord your God, by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full of, and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply, and your silver and gold is multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart is lifted up, and you forget the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground, where there is no water, who brought you water out of a flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Beware, lest you say in your heart, my power and my might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember that the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is to this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after another God and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, you shall perish because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. Let's pray. 
Father, we thank you for your word, sound warning, sound encouragement, edifying to our souls, Father God. We thank you for the cautionary tale we're about to read, Father God, to remind us, Lord God, that it's not beyond Israel and it's not beyond us today to come into a wonderful promised land of multiplication and conveniently forget where it all started from. Forgive us, God, that our hearts are prone to wander. But I thank you for the preaching of Moses, Father God, and the preaching of Christ, and the preaching of the apostles, God, that are constantly reminding us, Father God, not to drift away from that which we first heard, Father God. I thank you for reminding us constantly, God, because you love us, to do us good, as the word says, as Moses said, you you humbled our hearts to, to do us good. In the end, Father God, you are always desiring to do us good, Father God. God, help us to see the propensity in our own hearts to wander away from a thriving relationship of Christ is enough Christianity. In Jesus' name. The thought of a born-again believer forgetting, Forgetting his God seems ludicrous. You would say, that's just no way, no how. That's not me. That's not going to happen. God has blessed me. I know what God has done for me. I'm so grateful to God for every little minute and great thing he's done in my life. There are things in my life, Pastor, you don't even know about. There's so many things that God has done, even on a small scale, that I, I couldn't begin to tell you what he's doing for me on a daily basis. How could I ever forget God? But our text reveals something, something insidious of the human heart. That human nature has a propensity to forget about God. No matter how good, no matter how kind, no matter how gracious, no matter how merciful, no matter how bad it was life before Christ, and we get to Christ, how wonderful it is, how they had to live for 40 years with the fiery serpents and the scorpions, one pair of sandals, eating the same food for 40 years, scarcity is all they knew, and they come into this thriving, promised land of multiplication. Surely, this is the time to rejoice and be thankful for God. How can I forget God? But you see, there's something God knows about the human heart we don't. As a matter of fact, Moses knew this. Moses knew that we can wander away from God. Historically, our story finds that the Israelites are just months, maybe even weeks away from finally going into the promised land. The 40 years of roaming around the desert, they're right there. Under the leadership of Joshua and Caleb, only a couple of months before, they're going to go in. This time they're going in. 40 years ago they balked. They, they, they wouldn't go in. They surrendered. They thought they were grasshoppers. They said, the, the giants are in the land. We can't go in. We can't go into this land of plenty, even though God has promised us. And we have seen the fruit of the land, that it's good. We've tasted of its fruit, but we can't do it. Now, 40 years later, a new generation is here. They're about to go in. Moses knows that his time is limited. He's not going to go into the promised land. It's been told him he's not going to go in. Joshua's going to go in. And here they are. They're about to go in. 40 years they wandered around a small piece of desert for the faithless generation of their fathers that went before them. The generation that's now going in was actually born in the desert. And we need to understand that. They were born in the desert. They know nothing but 
desert. That's it. They know nothing of prosperity or planting or sowing or building homes. They've never seen a stream, a river. They've never seen plenty. All they're familiar with is scarcity. It was just enough water that came out of the flinty rock, a blessing of God, a supernatural blessing, along with the manna that fell from heaven, another supernatural blessing, but they were only allowed to collect enough for one day. And on the Sabbath, they collected for two days. They had no idea what it is to feast. They had no idea what plenty was. They had no idea what abundance. These words were not even in the vocabulary. All they knew was just enough. They were fed hand to mouth by Jehovah himself. And now the time has come. They're going to go into the promised land. A land that throws its best at them. A land that throws houses at them. A land that throws rivers at them. A land that throws plenty. That throws gardens. That throws the fruit of the land. What an incredible word picture Moses uses here to what's going to transpire in their life in just a short time. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, he says. A land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs flowing out of the valleys and hills. You have to see the picture. It must be stirring up their imagination. They know nothing but desert. A land which you will eat bread without scarcity. In which you will lack nothing. A land whose stones are iron. And out of whose hills you can dig copper. You shall eat of this land. You shall be full in this land. And you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. They have no reference to what's going to take place. None at all. And you were thinking, what's the problem? Surely, won't you love God more on the other side of the river? Wouldn't you love God? Would you think that you'd love God more in the land of plenty than you did in scarcity? See, God knows something about the human heart. Let me read an article. There's an article, Fortune. Five, uh, Fortune. Why so many lottery winners go broke? All right. So you didn't win the share of Wednesday's record 1.6 billion Powerball lottery prize. But what would you do if you had all that cash if you did win? That's what Powerball's three winning ticket holders in California, Tennessee, and Florida are asking themselves right now. They share the $1.6 billion prize, each becoming instant millionaires. More than 80 others won $1 million or more. What all these folks do next will determine whether their windfalls improve their lives or leave them suffering. Let's just take a moment before I keep on reading. You and I would think that surely if I came into the windfall, say a, a land flown with milk and honey, surely is that a curse or not a blessing? And nobody wants to say anything. It's a blessing. If you're not prepared, it's a, it's a curse. God knows this. God knows this for the Israelites. 
He knows when luxury and comfort and convenience comes in, guess who's one of the first to go? Your relationship with God. We all know that. I've tasted that. It's a horrible taste. He goes on to say, Indeed, the Certified Financial Planner Board of Standards says nearly a third of lottery winners declare bankruptcy, meaning they were worse off than before they became rich. A third. I read somewhere else 70%, and that's done within the first five or seven years, another article. Meaning that they were worse off than when they became rich. Other studies show that the lottery winners frequently become estranged from their family, from their friends, and incur a greater incidence of depression, drug abuse, alcohol abuse, divorce, suicide than the average American. You see, the human heart can only handle so much. And we're going to find that out about our tale uh, of woe today in, in, the, in the desert. How careful we have to be. And, and when we move forward here, remember as a New Testament believer, when we go back into the Old Testament and we take out a text and we want to read it and apply it to our context today, we've got to be careful. It has to go through the cross. Amen? It has to go through Christ. Uh, I'm not preaching to a group of Old Testament believers under the law of Moses. I'm preaching to New Testament believers under the grace of Christ. There's a big difference. But the principles are there. The human heart is still what? Prone to? We know that. We know that Jesus says that it's the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and desires for other things couldn't choke out the word. We know that Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 6 that for the love of many, many are shipwrecked to faith. He's not talking about unbelievers. We're talking about people that Paul were probably converted under Paul's ministry that saw the, 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 the supernatural signs and wonders of the apostle. But yet, riches came in, a desire for riches came in and, and they shipwrecked their faith. So please, better men and women than you and me have fell to this. So we have to be careful. So really it does apply to us big time. It applies to this preacher, that's for sure. I've got to be careful at all times. That's what our story is about tonight. Good financial planning of a spiritual kind. We need, we might not become bankrupt. We might not become depressed. But we could be at fault of losing a thriving relationship. But as a New Testament pastor, that is my only concern. Is the joy of your salvation. That Christ is being formed in you. That you are walking in love, that you put on humility, and that you're loving the Lord God with all your heart, strength, soul, and mind, and you're enjoying that relationship. That is first and foremost in my heart. And I know that these things, that the heart is prone to wander, and all of a sudden coming to a land of comfort, I got stability in my life now because of the cross, and all of a sudden I, well, I don't want to get ahead of my sermon. You see, God was concerned for his people. Depending on how we read our Bibles, we'll determine how we understand the text. Is this story a threat from God about not having too much fun? <laughs> Cruel God, that's gonna, he's going to put the carrot before you, but you can't enjoy the goodies, you know, like sort of lure you on, pounce on his people. A God that loves to discipline his people for no reason. We know not at all. 
This is about God making sure that they don't make the mistake of putting the gift above the giver. Because the greatest gift is a relationship with the giver. Not what he gives at all. Nothing is more important than one's individual's thriving relationship with God not to lose the first love, to stay spontaneous and and pliable and flexible before the Lord, enjoying Him, enjoying witness in Christ, enjoying holiness, enjoying obedience, enjoying repentance, enjoying confession, enjoying fellowship, enjoying prayer, enjoying worship, enjoying your Bibles. That's what life is. We have to be careful to put the life God gives us in in front of the God who gives us life. Especially in America. Especially when God wants us to prosper. And if you work hard and and you're devoted to the Lord, there's a good chance you'll prosper in life. And praise God for that. There's more we can do for God. But we always have to be on the God. From this kind of propensity to fall away from the living God. You see, we've got to be careful of thinking, the Israelites had to be careful of thinking that it was they themselves that prospered and not God who made them prosper because he loves them. God makes us prosper in life. And when I talk about prosperity from New Testament perspective, it could be materialistic things, praise God. But prosperity is just contentment and peace of mind. Let me tell you something. The older you get, the more you love the intangibles of life. The more you love a good book. I had a great cigar this morning, man. I took a long walk. It was hailing out. And I'm smoking. I'm walking down Flatbush Avenue, smoking a cigar in a parking lot. I'm praising the Lord. I'm, tears are rolling down my face. If somebody would have saw me, they would say, this guy is a nut. He's a nut. I went to the golf course. Guess what was closed? Of course it was closed. I thought maybe I'd pot smoke a cigar, but anyway, they opened up and I hit into the net. But the point is, is that that's life. I never want to lose that. Ever want to lose that. I never want to lose that one-on-one contact with the Lord who loves me. You see, they had to learn the lesson that the Lord is the source of all blessings. He's behind the scenes. He causes prosperity through the agency of second causes. It's a spiritual principle. God gives us supernatural talents, we use them. And we prosper with them over years. Sometimes he's given us a great intellect. Some people are great with numbers. Some people are great with their hands and carpenters. Some people are entrepreneurial, they have creative ideas. Some people have a driving ambition to make something work and make something of themselves. They have a good work ethic. A good work ethic was taught to them. They have good prudence in saving and the years go on. And they save a little and a little and a little. And they invested wisely. And all of a sudden the day comes and a land of plenty overcomes them. And they're like, praise God. But they're all God's blessing. He's caused us to prosper. As verse 17 and 18 says, Beware lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. 
Beware, he says, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. That he may confirm his covenant that he swore to the fathers as it is to this day. This is how it works. God blesses with gifts and talents. Over time, we become somewhat prosperous, otherwise known as independent and self-sufficient. I'm doing pretty good. I'm not the bum I was when I got saved. I put my wildy ways behind me. I got some kind of stability in my life. I, I got a good name for myself now. See, that's the danger. In our hearts, we slowly take God for granted. And we have this justifying position of this slow departure from who? From God. See, that was his concern for the Israelites. He knows. He knew what they were going into. It was a blessing from him. But he also knows the human heart that after a little work, a little rest, you know, something, who, who, who? Jehovah who? Jehovah who? How many times do we forget about our prayers? That movie, The End. Remember the movie, The End? Who was that? Dom DeLuise? And Burt Reynolds? Remember he was drowning? And he was praying, I'll give you 10% of everything, God. And the closer we got to the shore, but I don't think he gave him anything by the time he was saved. But that's what we do. We do well with God. And, you know, we promise him this and the, the low points of our life. Then the low point of our life comes and goes. And guess what? So does God. That's the danger. We slowly can justify the slow departure from God. I've seen this happen many times to many, many good Christians. It's a trap. It's a trap of the sinful human heart. It's genetic. We get it from Adam. It's a forget God gene. All of a sudden it's like, all the trees of the garden, I'm going to feast on this one tree. I forgot about all the plenty. I forgot about the blessings. And then you say, well, how? How might you ask? How, pastor? How can that happen? Let me tell you how it first goes on. The person who was supernaturally provided for when they first got saved. All right? This is the way it works. You get saved. You're just happy to be in church, praising God, worshiping, and being washed by the water of the word. That's it. You got your Bible. You go on every Bible study. You go on every prayer meeting. You're laying hands on the sick. You're telling everybody about Christ. They don't like you. You still tell them anyway. And you go and you're happy and you're joyous and you're free. And you're enjoying. Everybody's hating you, but you don't care because you're so filled with the Holy Ghost. And you're enjoying life. And it's just, just, it's just beautiful existence. And all of a sudden you grow strong spiritually and I grow strong spiritually, we grow strong spiritually and the stability comes into our life. We start thinking rationally, biblically, spiritually. We learn what it means to be led by the Spirit of God and not by the flesh. We have the fruit of the Spirit. Now all of a sudden we find ourselves too busy to be consistent with the witness with the study, with church, with Sunday school, with the fellowship. You know, I'm so blessed that I can't be consistent anymore. I got, all, I got such a stable life, I'm just going to, I'll spend it on myself. That's what I'll do. I've been praying, like, God, keep me healthy. We get older, I don't know, I'm 56, I'll be 57. Like, God, keep me healthy. Does anybody pray that prayer? 
And I felt God say, well, what for? Just for yourself, like you always do? Are you going to get involved in someone else's life who needs help? Or is this about you just living to 90 years old, enjoying your golf game, and then dying and coming home with me? But you change. Too busy to be consistent with God, with fellowship, with church. That's where the word of God is most active. And then we'll get to this in application. This is about, you know, you know, faithful preaching here. Fellowship with other Christians becomes dried up. Once it was part of a thriving relationship that we had with Jesus and we had with other believers, is this now become secondary, almost independent, self-sufficient. We sort of forget about our moorings and our need as spiritual, not just social beings, but spiritually social beings. I cannot be fed by unspiritual Friendships. I have many unspiritual. I have many friends that aren't saved, but they're not the ones that keep me on the, the narrow path. You are. You keep me on the narrow path. My relationship with my wife helps me to maintain the narrow path. It helps me to walk in love. They don't realize that their new life in God with all its benefits of peace and hope and prosperity of heart contentment in their life a stable life all belongs to God and many Christians don't realize that the reason if if you could close your eyes for a moment right now and can you say to yourself I don't know where you're at in your life but can you say no God I do have a stable life I know I do but you know what because stable people showed me a stable life You see, you have to be around stability and then you have to be a stable person who gives it to the guy behind you. You can't forget about where you got strong. You can't forget about where you got stable. You can't forget about where you found Christ. You can't forget about who helped you and now all of a sudden I'm so filled with God and His blessings that I'll just move on to my own pasture. We forget about God. We forget about other Christians. God uses the maturity and stability of someone else's life to pour into us. In return, we do what with it now? We continue to come. We continue to be consistent. We continue to be devoted to the local church. We continue to be devoted to witnessing. We continue to be devoted to confession and repentance and care and love and worship and learning the word of God constantly. Having my mind nurtured and structured and renewed by the word of God. It never ceases to amaze me how the older some Christians get, the less and less and less they come interested in what the word of God says. How can that be? What is more important? But that's the lesson we have tonight. They were going to forget what God said. They were going to forget what Moses said. They were going to have such a stable life. That all their devotions were going to fall apart. They also failed to recognize, like the Israelites in the desert, that the formidable years 
their first years as Christians was all supernatural. Just as God provided supernaturally for the Israelites in their clothing, their sandals didn't wear out, there was no blisters, their clothes didn't wear out. One set of clothes. One. Well, let's not go there. It must have been smelled horrible. We, they never, we don't know nothing about bathing. It never says in Deuteronomy. It says they were water baptized, but that was it. Supernaturally fed. Supernaturally clothed. Supernaturally, the, the fire at night kept them warm. Supernaturally, the cloud in the day kept them cool. And like New Testament believers, all of a sudden their life gets together. And they come in, they come in broken with a lot of burning fires in their life and a, a lot of sin, a lot of weakness. And, and, and several years go on and all they do is they sit here like little children and they grow strong and they get stable and it's supernatural. They don't realize that God's providing for them. But now they, well, they think my power got me to this stable place. It's God. I did this. They don't say it. They wouldn't admit to that. I wouldn't admit to that. But my actions are revealing something about my heart. Because if I really knew the reason I'm here today after 27 years is God, you can rest assured I'll be here Monday, I'll be here Thursday, I'll be here Sunday, and you can rest assured until God takes me home, I'm going to be here. You know why? Because I know it's God. I know it's the Lord. Where am I going to go? Retire. Retire is nice. Monday one day we'll get a chance to retire. But you understand the point. I'll give a little exaggeration, a little hyperbole, just to make the point. How we have to be careful if we really do understand that God supernaturally provided for us in the wilderness of our sin and a slave to Satan and he made sure we came to the shores of salvation before we took our last breath and now he gives us eternal life, eternal hope, and he gives us peace and a stable life. Do I not owe everything to God? That's what he's saying. Enjoy it as it's yours, but remember, it's a loan. Remember who gave it to you. It's all supernatural. And this sinful sense of sinful self-sufficiency sets in. Forgetfulness is next. And I know what you're saying, I'll never forget it, not me, Brian. See, that's what the Israelites said too. Understand, while they prospered and began to settle down, as we read the book of Judges, Joshua and Judges, and we go through the historical text, guess what? They failed miserably. Guess who they forgot? God. And they worshipped all the other idols. Though they prospered and they began to settle down and they relaxed, they believed in God. They would have said, well, I, I still believe in Jesus. Do you see what happened? They profound the Sabbath. The Sabbath wasn't meant. It never lived up to what God desired it to be. They never fully gave themselves to God. The Sabbath never got the full undivided attention that it was designed for. And this was the heart of Jewish worship and relationship with God. And that's what God was concerned about. 
The relationship. The relationship. You see, like so many of the instant millionaires in our story, I didn't read a whole bunch of stories. I don't want to get into all the horror stories. We understand whose lives were ruined. A lot of it wasn't just a bankruptcy. They lost so many of their relationships along the way. Your money will do that. And it's bad enough now you have nothing. Worse than having nothing is having no one. That's the worst. No one. I'd rather have everybody and have nothing. But especially our relationship with the Lord. Don't lose. I'm, I'm here fighting for that tonight. I'm here fighting for your relationship with Christ. That's what I'm fighting for. And I don't know why of the world is alluring or where we want to get comfortable. It's so easy. We have to say no. It reminds me of a story when we still had the Bible study in my Monday afternoons in my apartment back in the mid-90s. And, and there was this one brother coming out of Catholicism and I sat down with him painstakingly over a year and we read the Bible and he was coming. He was he really grasping salvation by grace. But he loved the parable. And all of a sudden, paddle ball season came, and it was Monday afternoon, and it was paddle ball, and it was paddle ball or the Bible study. And he told me, he, he relived the whole thing. He's like, it's paddle ball, it's 75 degrees, it's mid-April, everybody's out. And I remember him telling me this. He goes, Jesus died for me. I'll never give that up. It says it was the changing decision of his, while he was saved of his life. That man has such a close walk with God now. He never turned back. And all the other miracles of God's grace in his life I could talk about. But besides that, the point is, he came to a crucial crisis moment in his decision and his following Christ. Where it was some kind of convenience over what gave him stability was that Bible study. And he said, no, it's the word of God. It's the fellowship with the saints. That's what got me here. That's what pointed me to Christ. That's what got me saved. That's what got me filled with the spirit. That's what brings me joy. That's what gave me love. That's what gave me self-control. Am I going to give that up for parable now? That's his words. But there was that fight for a moment. See, God was testing his heart like he tested the Israelites' hearts. Who will you serve? It's always a test. To do us harm? No. To do us good. When God tested their hearts, do you think it was God saying, I wonder what they're going to do? The omnipotent God of mind saying, hmm, I know the end to the beginning, but I wonder what they're going to do. Of course not. God knows exactly. God wants them to know what they could do. God wants you and me to know what we could still do without him. Ruin our lives. Ruin our lives. Just like these millionaires. These Israelites were in danger of slipping away from a thriving relationship with God. While they were still in the desert. You know, it's at the low times of our life. I've seen seen Christians go through some serious tough times. And that's when they're closer to God. And as soon as the storm passes, there's a drifting away. 
we're all prone to. It's not us against them. We're all prone to it. God knows that the best gift he can give is himself. This is our great reward. This was Abraham's great reward. I shall be your great reward, Abraham. I shall be a sword about you, Abraham. This is what our text is all about. To continue to enjoy God. Not just a cold obedience to the law of Moses, but a thriving relationship with God. Hebrews says it this way. Take care, brothers. Lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. The answer is this, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. He says in chapter 10, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meeting together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another on all the more as you see the day drawing near. Second Peter says it this way, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your call in an election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way you will be richly provided for in your entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. What a pastor. What a shepherd's heart. Therefore, Peter says, I always remind you of these qualities. Though you know them and are established in the truth that you have in them, I still think as long as I'm in this body to stir you up by way of reminder. That's a pastor's heart. That's a shepherd's heart. Since I know that the putting off of my own body, he's talking about his own death, will be soon as the Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. He says this, and I will make every effort so that after my departure you will be able to at any time recall these things. This is a teacher, this is a pastor, this is an apostle, this is what we do, this is why we exhort one another while the day is drawing nearer, not to fall into the deceitfulness of sins, to make sure of our calling, make sure of our election, make sure of our faith, growing in the qualities and the Christian virtues that the Holy Spirit produces in us. That's the promised land. That's the promised land. Amen. That's what God has for us. All the intangibles of the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Let me do a couple applications first. How do we secure a non-forgetful relationship with God? One that lasts the test of time. How do I secure a relationship with God that stands the test of poverty and or prosperity. One that doesn't crash and burn at the end like our millionaires, first and foremost. Always remember the first four verses tell us, never forget what God has done. This is not brain science here. This is, this is the depth of spirituality. It's right here. Don't forget Gratitude for what God has done is the first step towards securing a future. First step. It's the bedrock of a steadfast walk with God. Throughout the Old Testament, God has always reminded them how you lived in the land of slavery and what I've done for you. Constantly, the New Testament is reminded of what Christ has done. How he's given the Spirit. If you live by the Spirit, Paul says... Walk in the Spirit. 
live by the Spirit. Personally, much of my prayer life, as I was talking about earlier, is just to constantly remind myself of how good God has been to me. I should not be standing here. I should not be emotionally healthy, physically healthy, and especially spiritually healthy. Morally healthy. I'm a mess without God. An absolute mess. And I have to remind myself, and I specifically with tears in my eyes, go over my whole life and my childhood before I knew God. To when I first came saved, and God started working on my flesh, and started God working on my weaknesses, and he started testing me and revealing to me so Brian Martin would know that the greatest enemy to Brian Martin is not the seven tribes that God can drive out of Canaan any time he wants. The greatest enemy to Israel, and the greatest enemy to you, and the greatest enemy is me, is ourself. The greatest enemy. David's greatest enemy wasn't Goliath. It was the weakness of his own flesh took him out. Two. Deuteronomy, whether you know it, means second lords. The second preaching of the law. Moses, maybe two, he's only months away from going in and he, he's summing up everything he's taught them for 40 years. Everything God has downloaded into Moses. He's telling the people, he, he, he's, he's prophetically preaching, he's encouraging, he's inspiring, he's teaching them, he's preaching the word of God. It's prophetic and sometimes it's a warning and sometimes it's telling you how to handle the fortunes that God gives us. And he's preaching his heart out. And he's warning them. He's reminding them first and foremost that it's God's faithfulness and mercy to them because of Abraham and the fathers, the promise, the covenant he made with the fathers that they're in this land today. Deuteronomy chapter 9, the next chapter goes on to clearly say it's not because you were great than all the other nations. It's because I loved you that I'm giving you this land. This is preaching. And sometimes it's reminding what God has done and who God is. We also have to hear what's still in our heart. Every Sunday, the word of God should open me up like a can opener. And remind me how awesome God is and how desperately weak I am without him. I am unashamed to say that I can say with Paul no good thing dwelleth in me who will save me from this body of death thanks be to God through Jesus Christ and we encourage each other another week has gone by saints another week of getting closer to Christ another another week of where fighting the flesh fighting Satan fighting, fighting temptations within and without I can go on and on and on we need one another, amen? Yes. Let's not forget about God. I'll just give one more on that. I want to talk about preaching. Preaching God's word reveals the inner heart. The great propensity to wander away from God. Please listen to me. I love you so much. I have to tell you, as I said already in no uncertain terms, you and I are our worst enemy. We're our worst enemy. Listen to the way Psalm 73 says it. Truly God is good to Israel, 
to those who are pure in heart. But ASAP, the psalmist says, but as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Aesop, handpicked by David. Top minstrel. Access to king, prophet. Access to the Levites. Access to the priests. Access to the temple. But yet his foot had almost slipped until he says, I went into the house of the Lord and then I saw the outcome of the wicked. I was reminded as they were preaching Deuteronomy, what happens to the wicked? I heard the priest recite Deuteronomy. I heard the priest recite the Old Testament. I heard the priest being faithful to the word of God. My foot would have slipped, but I went into the temple and by his presence and his word, I was reminded what happens. Father, we can go on and 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 on. The dynamics, Father, are still the same. We're still prone to wander, Father God, and forget about you and get comfortable and get the nice, convenient Christianity. We are Americans, Father. Don't we deserve it? We work so, so hard, Father. Forgive us of our murmuring, God. Forgive us of our complaining. Forgive us of our indifference and our complacency, our apathy, our pathetic justifying why we're not totally sold out, our pathetic rationalizations that don't bring me closer to you but actually have a way of bringing me further away. Help us, God. Help us, God. Stir us up by way of reminder, Father God, To continually add these virtues of love and faith and self-control. We love you, Father God, in Jesus' precious name.